0: We're going to wrap up today with our final presentation. Um, in fact, someone was saying to me, Hildegard and I were chatting about it earlier. that this, in, this investment seminar just seems to get better and better every year. This was a uh, this was trappe van vergelijking. tell you Good, better, lekkerder, lekkerste, mal, maler, malema is kind of where we're going these days. Uh, but but speaking of, of politics, we're going to end with uh, a discussion on politics. I'm very impressed to. Um, in terms of reading Aubrey Machiki's uh, bio, uh, firstly a top-rated political analyst for the second year in a row with the Financial Mail. But here's what really struck me when we're talking politics. I mean, he's a former maths and science and English teacher. But here's this: a former member of the United Democratic Front, uh, a former member of the African National Congress, former member of Esizwe, former member of the South African Communist Party. All right, he's been around. No mention of the DA, that says something for the DA itself. Uh, regular weekly column for the, uh, for the Business Day. Aubrey, I'm really keen to hear what you have to say. Why not you give him a big round of applause as he takes to the stage. Aubrey Machiki. Um
1: Good afternoon. Kalispera. Calimera. Is it still Calimera? Calimera? Oh the sun must still set? Um I I feel like a child in Willy Wonka's uh, chocolate factory. There's chocolate everywhere. Uh that's what our politics is like at the moment. Um in fact if if uh you allowed me. I think by this time next week, I would still be talking to you about what's happening in our political landscape. Um, I want to start with the story. Those of you who are sensitive um, can 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 block their ears, and then you'll ask the person next to you what I said, what the story was about. Um, there is this country, you know it well, every year it has the running of the pools. And this year, again, it had the running of the pools. And what happens after the running of the pools, there is a bullfight fight between the fiercest pool and the best matador in the country. After that, there's an auction. Uh, this is the sensitive part. Um, what the bidders bid beat for are the assets of the pool, uh, the balls of the pool. And every year, the same men. The richest man in the country is the highest bidder. And the balls are taken to the best restaurant in the country to be cooked by the best chef in the country. And the same thing happened this year Running of the Bulls, Bullfight, uh, Auction, and the same man was the highest bidder. Um, so, as it has become customary, he was presented with his sumptuous meal, <coughs> sorry, at the center of which lies the testicles of the bull. But this time he frowns. He he calls the waiter and said, Look, as you know, I mean I am always the highest bidder. I am not happy with the size of my meal. It seems to be smaller. You guys are cheating. And the waiter says, look, I will call the manager. The manager comes, he repeats the complaint. And the manager sensitively and sympathetically leans forward and says, sir, the pool." one this time.
0: <coughs>
1: <laughs> now I don't remember what he did with the balls. <laughs> and maybe I should I should never remember. This is not a story about Matadors, the running of the pools the fiercest bull in the country, the richest man in the country. This is a story about disruption. This is a story about disruption and there's an interesting relationship between disruption and technology and technological advances. And therefore, the question is not whether you will be disrupted. The question is when are you going to be disrupted? The jobs you are doing now will be done by machines, machines that have the capacity to learn. So the question is not whether you'll be disrupted, but the question is when. And the question is whether you are making the necessary preparations to survive or obviate the disruption. Um, Let me ask you a question. Because you look like you have the answer <laughs> you know that um, our universe is going to be sucked into the Sun in about 5 billion years 5 billion years should we worry about that 5 billion years away it's 2018 today should we worry about that how many of you think we should worry about that how many of you think we should not worry about that five billion years from now we'll be all gone so it's not your problem it's their problem (coughs) we should worry for them should we worry for ourselves at the moment no we have nothing to worry about okay okay that's good We should not worry. It's five billion years away. It's like going to the gym. You know how people wake up and they go to the gym? And I look at them and I think, what a waste of time. (laughs) Because they should not worry about the future of their bodies, about dying and all that. For two reasons. First of all, Why take a good body to the grave? That's the first reason. (coughs) And the second reason, my advice is, when you feel the urge to exercise, lie down until it passes and you'll be fine. (laughs) And there is a third reason. Well, it doesn't affect everyone. If you read the obituaries in the newspapers, you'll realize that people die in alphabetical order. (laughs) So if you are Zuma, you are safe, if you are Abrahams, well, (laughs) time is up. So you don't have to worry, you don't have to go to the gym. But when it comes to this one, if I'm the CEO of a company and I ask you this question, and you say to me, because it's five billion years away, We don't have to be worried I will fire you on the spot because the kind of person you want in your business the kind of person you want in your company is the kind of person who will say the solution is to watch the demise of this universe from another universe the solution is to create markets in another universe. The question is what kind of technology and energy do we need to set up markets in another universe and watch the demise of this universe as spectators from another universe? What kind of research and development do we need to do? That's the kind of mindset you require. Especially since A lot of the changes that are going to happen it doesn't matter where you are in the economy are not going to happen over a period of 5 billion years over the next decade the first 3d printed car will be produced in the US over the next decades our clothes will be connected to the internet big data will be a normal everyday thing and therefore the kind of mindset you require is the kind of mindset which anticipates these changes and as we go forward the period within which these changes happen will become shorter and shorter but the changes will become more and more impressive as far as the as far as the impact is concerned now, if, for instance, you help the insurance industry, you, you may want to know the following. And this is from the, fourth, the book, The Fourth Industrial Revolution. And it says, employment will grow in high-income, cognitive, and creative jobs jobs like yours, and low-income manual occupations. But it will greatly diminish for middle-income, routine, and repetitive jobs. And if you think of South Africa, that's the bulk of the working population, given the fact that with a problem of skills and an underperforming public education system. So that's the kind of disruption technology will bring to the fore if you are ill prepared for the changes that are coming. Now of course if you are a politician you may assume you have nothing to worry about. And my point today is that if you are an ANC leader, if you are Cyril Ramaphosa, the question is not whether the political power of the ruling African National Congress will be disrupted or not. The question is when will the disruption come? The disruption will come the only thing we can debate is the nature of the political forces and changes that will bring about the disruption to the political power of the African National Congress but that power will be disrupted and in my view that power is in the process of being disrupted If you are Musi Maimane, the leader of the Democratic Alliance, the same applies to you. The power of the Democratic Alliance as the most dominant political force on the right of the ANC itself is going to be disrupted. It's not a question of whether it will. It's a question of when. It will definitely be disrupted, which means the landscape in future is not going to be a landscape dominated by the ANC and the Democratic Alliance what you can quibble about is whether this will happen in our lifetime or not if you are as young as I am chances are is that it will I have said to ANC leaders that the ANC will reach its 200th birthday but we'll celebrate that birthday not in a stadium in Mangaung but in a cozy restaurant in Plumfante. <laughs> <coughs> and the forces leading to that are already with us now as we are here we are missing the state capture commission of inquiry a lot of interesting allegations are emerging out of the inquiry you heard from former deputy minister of finance ngcebisi jonas and then former member of parliament fake mento and today and yesterday we heard from temba maseko now the Commission of Inquiry is fascinating to me at different levels. Firstly, the protagonists are people I know, are people I grew up with in the student movement and elsewhere. Fagumento, we taught at the same Catholic school. Uh, Zuma's lawyer, Fagumento, and I taught at the same school. I know I'm name dropping, and my late friend Mandela warned me against it. <laughs> <coughs> So that's the first thing I find interesting the second thing I find interesting is the nature of the revelations that our state was not captured in my view was handed over to the Guptas by the president and other ANC leaders it was not captured they voluntarily handed it over to the gupta family now the question is how did we get here in the short space of 24 years how in the short space of 24 years have we managed has our political class has the ruling party managed to portray what Mandela stood for how have we succeeded in the short space of 24 years to to defer the dreams of millions of South Africans for a better life to understand that you you have to understand that in 1994 there was a change in the relationship between the ANC in state power and state power. What does that change? Access to political power through the ANC since 1994 is no longer an end in itself, but has become the means towards the achievement of another end: access to economic resources so the looting you see in the state the corruption and by the way corruption by the time Zuma leaves in February is no longer endemic in this country but is systemic meaning it has become the dominant culture in the state was not endemic anymore it is not endemic anymore the challenge we face Is systemic corruption in the state because it has become the dominant culture in the state but how do you get there we got there because for the better part of the past 24 years our political system has been uncompetitive Ours is a country and a political system that for too long has lacked substantive uncertainty. And by that, I mean that almost always, for the better part of the past 24 years, we could predict the outcome of the election. We could predict that the ANC would win the election because of the uncompetitive nature of our political system. And two things happen when a single party is dominant for too long. And this we refer to as single party dominance. What single party dominance delivers are two things. The dominant party becomes desensitized to the interests of ordinary citizens because it knows it will not lose an election. It can deploy anyone to the legislatures, to to our municipal councils, to the National Assembly, to cabinet. It can deploy palookas knowing it is not going to be punished by voters. There is no way in 2009 the ANC would have fielded Jacob Zuma as its presidential candidate if ours was a competitive political system because it would not take the chance of fielding someone who would make it lose in the 2009 election. But the ANC could risk fielding Jacob Zuma as a presidential candidate because of a lack of substantive uncertainty. It did not have to worry about losing an election. The second thing which happens is that single party dominance delivers institutional uncertainty look at the National Prosecuting Authority the political interference there look at the Hawks the political interference there look at what is coming out of the SARS Commission of inquiry how there was an attempt to capture both SARS and National Treasury institutional uncertainty. In other words, single-party dominance has compromised the integrity and credibility of some of our most important democratic institutions. The first problem that is single-party dominance delivering a lack of sensitivity to the needs and interests of ordinary citizens on the part of the ruling party, has what I call the Viagra effect. (laughs) You know how Viagra came into being. Um, There's a medication which had this uh, beneficial side effect. And from that beneficial side effect, the The side effect was isolated, and out of it came Viagra. And we all lived happily ever after. (laughs) In the same way, because for too long the ANC has been insensitive to the interests of ordinary citizens, the side effect of its single-party dominance Is a change in the electoral balance of forces. Now, if you look at 2004, the ANC won 69.69% of the vote, which translated into 279 seats in the National Assembly. And then in 2009, it won 65%, which translated into 264 seats in the National Assembly. And then in 2014, it won 62.3%, which translated into 249 seats in the National Assembly, which means in the decade between 2004 and 2014, the ANC lost two minibus taxis. (laughs) And what does that show? There's a shift amongst ANC voters. And the trend is downwards because the single-party dominance of the ANC delivered a ruling party that had become too sensitive to the interests of ordinary citizens. And this shift was highlighted more forcibly by the outcome of the local government elections in 2016. The ANC lost Tswane, Johannesburg, Nelson Mandela Bay, and so on. In fact, the ANC is losing support in both metropolitan areas and rural areas. And the population dynamics are changing. From this election, the voter will be younger and therefore the ANC will be unable to invoke apartheid in an attempt to mobilize voters. And then of course, this is a party that at least since 2007 has been in the middle of its worst internal decline and factionalism. And so Jacob Zuma is a product of that decline, but he reinforces the decline. So there's a relationship between this decline, which produces his presidency, and his contribution to the decline, which takes us to to this point. And of course Cyril Ramaphosa emerges as president of the ANC in December last year and head of state in February because the country became hungry for the antithesis of what Zuma stood for and the country believes it got it in Cyril Ramaphosa and hence the Ramaphoria that we've been Experiencing since December 2017. I've been measuring the Ramaphoria and I must be honest, the the Ramaphoria index is now below 50%. (laughs) Why? It's because we did unrealistic readings of the outcome of the election at the ANC's Nazareth Conference in December. Yes, Ramaphosa was elected president. But the delegates did not not give him the party. They forgot to give him the party. The margin was too narrow, which means half the party does not support him. But look at the policy platform that was adopted. That conference adopts a resolution calling for radical economic transformation. It adopts another, calling for expropriation of land without compensation and to give effect to that, the amendment of Section 25 of the Constitution, the property clause. It then calls for the nationalization of the South African Reserve Bank. There is no way that Cyril Ramaphosa and his supporters would have supported these measures at the conference. The fact that these measures were passed means that Zuma, the the minority of the Zuma camp is a significant minority, which means Ramaphosa cannot make tough decisions without the consent of his opponents inside the ANC. So his main problem inside the ANC is internal opposition. Now, if next year the ANC trends downwards even further, that will put pressure more on Ramaphosa than it will on the ANC itself. Let's look at the DA. The DA at the moment is like a snake that is swallowing itself from the tail. It is cannibalizing itself. It has developed its own internal tensions and factionalism; there are fights over ideology, policy orientation, and leadership. And of course, the Patricia De Lille has compromised the support of the party in areas such as the Western Cape. Some polls suggest that the DA may lose as much of, as 50 percent support amongst coloured voters in the western cape in the next election nationally will grow but only by about 2 to 3%. So the two biggest countries I mean parties in the country are in the middle of internal crises. And this leaves us with the economic freedom fighters your favourite party They are sitting pretty. Look at what they're doing with their 6%. With their 6%, the 6% they won in 2014, they are setting the agenda and the ANC is playing catch up. And the reason Ramaphosa has become so strident in calling for expropriation of land without compensation is because the alternative is for them to lose and lose significantly to the EFF. Now, I am not persuaded that the ANC will fall below 50%, but I am persuaded that it does face the threat of serious electoral losses, and the main beneficiary may be the EFF. And this is why the ANC is calling for expropriation of land without compensation 24 years later. And this has implications for the country. Nothing. Nothing in the foreseeable future is going to divide this country more than this call for expropriation of land without compensation. Uh, how scary do you want my scenario to be? As scary as possible. Okay. Add
0: scary. So
1: give us. Give us positive. Le- you want positive? Okay. Bye. <coughs> Um, I will give you positive. Um, social, political and economic pressures are building up. South Africa is heading towards a perfect storm of discontent: the discontent of the poor, the discontent of workers and the discontent of the middle class. That's where South Africa is heading. In other words, South Africa is heading for a generalized crisis. If you look at the numbers, South Africa is a food-secure country. But 50% of South Africans are food-insecure. That's a story of inequality. Too many young people are unemployed and living under conditions of underdevelopment, which means our young people are going to be the stormtroopers of the political and social instability that is coming, unless somehow we find a way out of the current trajectory. When you look at the expropriation of land without compensation debate, I am afraid that the racial tension it is already causing may play itself out in the streets of this country and polarize the country even further along racial lines. I am also afraid that the lack of an intergenerational conversation between us, the older generation, and the younger generation, means we, as the older generation, together with the ANC, are becoming obsolete in the eyes of the young generation. And the point I'm making here is that the ANC is not the future, nor is the Democratic Alliance nor are we the future and and what that means to me is that we may have to accept that a new revolution is coming because those who fought in the old revolution have gone as far as they can are running out of ideas and cannot innovate and cannot unite, unite us behind a common vision for South Africa. It will, in all probability, be the task of the younger generation to start a new revolution. And what that means, of course, we must prepare ourselves for some level of social, political, and economic instability before we settle into the kind of South Africa we all dream about. Let me put it politely. The young generation is disappointed with the older generation. Their expectations have been disappointed, have not been fulfilled. The young generation is going to urinate on our graves. Unless we find a way of getting out of the current trajectory. In other words, the grass is very dry in South Africa. I know the president said for South Africans, economic growth is around the corner. Which corner? I don't know. Um, because I'm polite, I'm not going to ask what the president has been smoking. Because in the foreseeable future, growth will be anemic. Anemic amongst other reasons. Because as long as the ANC remains in power, the kind of change that is required in South Africa is not going to materialize. As long as the ANC remains in power and continues to do this dance with the Democratic Alliance, the kind of change that South Africa requires is not going to materialize. The structural changes that are required in the economy are not going to happen. The structural reforms international investors, uh, ratings agencies and others are calling for are not going to happen because amongst other problems we sit with a lame duck president. Cyril Ramaphosa is a lame duck president. As I said, there's an extent to which he cannot make the decisions that need to be made without the consent of his opponents inside the party. And if the ANC trends downwards, as I said, next year, his dilemma is going to deepen even further. Let me throw something at you. You can ask me about it next year. Don't take it for granted that Ramaphosa will be the president of South Africa after the 2019 elections. Don't take it for granted. If he does, don't take it for granted that Ramaphosa will get a second term. Don't take that for granted. D.D. Mabuza is waiting in the wings. And can you imagine a South Africa under D.D. Mabuza? It will make Jacob Zuma look like Mother Teresa. (laughs) (coughs) But, the solution is in our hands. In this way. We we need to dream the kind of South Africa we want into being because if we don't, others like the Guptas will dream the kind of South Africa they want into being. But I'm not talking about putting a mat on the floor, sitting and going... No. I'm talking about dreaming actively. That's what I'm talking about. And to dream actively means... Going forward, we must liberate ourselves from the party political space. There's been too much of a reliance on the party political space. There's been too much of a reliance on political parties and politicians. And we've been pretending since 1994 that political parties and politicians occupy the entirety of our democratic space when actually there are two spaces in our democracy. There's the space occupied by politicians and political parties on the one hand, and the space occupied by us, civil society. What we need is a creative interaction between the party political space and the civil society space to produce the kind of change that we want. In other words, I do think we have reached a point where we must realize that yes, political parties and politicians will always be with us. But when they fail us, we must be able to rely on a vibrant civil society space or what I call the non-party political space. I will drop another name. I had a discussion with former finance minister, um, and he said to me, Aubrey, we have three years to get out of this trajectory. If we don't get out of this current trajectory, South Africa is facing a future of social, political, and economic instability. But the solution is in our hands in another way political parties need to realize that the time is gone when voters will tolerate underperformance. Which means next year, you must be careful about how you exercise your vote. Because it seems to me that currently, we exercise our vote in a manner which disenfranchises us we need to be more strategic we need to be more tactical about how we exercise that vote for those of you who are in business yes we need to find a cure for the levels of mistrust between the ANC government and business but business must come to the table must come to the party when it comes to envisioning a South Africa in which we can better the lives of all South Africans and we can create better conditions for business to thrive. In other words, we need to reconnect with the idealism of 1994. We need to reconnect with the soft power the idealism of 1994 gave us. In other words, we need to reach for the impossible. Because as they say, politics is the art of the possible, revolution is the art of the impossible. Business has a place to play, has a role to play in reaching for the impossible. As long as we stay in this current trajectory, we are going to muddle along. I made a prediction in 2007 and I'm sticking to it. My prediction is as long as the ANC remains in power, South Africa does not get out of this rut before 2029. And that is if we are lucky. But it is in our hands. And the question is at an individual and a collective level, What are we prepared to do to change direction? And I believe we can. We have shown in the past that we can. And we can if we have the tough and difficult conversations we need to have about our future. Otherwise, we stay in the current trajectory. And we have a future that is uncertain in the sense that going forward, coalitions are going to become a feature of South African politics at municipal level, provincial level, and maybe at national level too. And that comes with its own instability, political uncertainty, policy uncertainty, and economic uncertainty. So in the foreseeable future, my assessment is that the single-party dominance that I've been talking about of the ANC will be in recession, but will not be replaced by the single-party dominance of another. Parties will win relative majorities will be forced into coalition arrangements. And these coalition arrangements will cause political policy and economic uncertainty. In all probability, Solim Simang is not going to be the mayor of Sfane as from today. We saw what happened with Trollip. And this may come to Joburg. So the future is uncertain. Those of you who are decision-makers need to appreciate that the two things we need to manage are uncertainty and complexity. We must not look for easy answers. We must manage uncertainty and complexity. That is our future. But let me close with this. There was a man a young man. And everything was going wrong. His wife had just divorced him, was unemployed, had lost his house. And I, I won't name it because it's someone you know. And he decided that he was going to kill himself. He took a gun, went to a sewage pipe uh, where he was going to blow his brains out. But for some reason, he felt drowsy and slept before he could do the deed. He wakes up in the morning. What he sees around him is this pipe, rat-infested and filthy. Then he sees something remarkable. He sees a rose growing in the midst of this filth and rats. Why is it growing? Because there's a crack in the pipe, allowing the rays of the sun to shine through, allowing the rose to grow. And he thought, I have many problems in my life. My life is rat infested and filthy, but I, like this rose, can grow in the midst of this filth." South Africa is the same. We have many challenges. But I have no doubt that like this rose growing in the midst of this filth, South Africa will rise again. And South Africa will rise again because of its people, because of you. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much. Aubrey, I'm glad you ended like you did. I was failing to see the positivity in youngsters desecrating our graves and a lame duck president and Didi Mabuza in the wings and a not out of the rut by 2029. So thank you for David's story and the rose and the, the, uh, the sewerage tunnel, the sewerage tank, which is amazing. Um, have you good time for some questions? I almost didn't want to open the floor to that, but if there are, I think it'd be fair to ask Aubrey a question or two. I think it's been a, a very sobering outlook on uh, on South Africa? Aubrey, I don't think so. I think Abram Lincoln famously said it. The best way to predict the future is to create it and that's what you said. There's a question right at the back. Thank you sir for the presentation. a um, bit of an open ended question, but after they freed South Africa, why do you think the political world is lacking to help ordinary South Africans from which for which they fought for. I I, I failed to understand that. I'm perhaps too young. Mm. But from your generation, from the noble roots it came from, how did we
1: get you? Uh, From my generation. Which generation is that? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I, I, I still maintain that the problem, the core problem which has brought us to where We are is an uncompetitive political party system I might also add to that the fact that this uncompetitive system is reinforced by our electoral system the proportional representation system a system which privileges the desires of political parties and their and their bosses at the expense of the ordinary citizen And hence, in a paper I wrote some years ago, I proposed that South Africa should adopt a mixed system similar to what they have in Germany and in Mexico. So that's that's the first thing. The second thing is that the problem of single-party dominance does not start In 1994. Remember, we had single party dominance, the single party dominance of the National Party from 1948 to 1994. If you combine that period with the 24 years of the ANC, uh, if my arithmetic tells me well, it means we have had almost 80 years of single party dominance. And what that means is that South Africa has not had a culture of strong and effective opposition for close to 80 years. And therefore, the political will we are talking about, or the lack of political will we are talking about, is a product of lack of competition. Because those in power are not afraid of losing that power. But it has produced something else. Uh, We talk about state capture. There's something worse it has produced. What I call the deep state. And the deep state comes into being when there is a confluence of the interests of senior government officials, politicians, uh, rogue elements in business, rogue elements in state and private intelligence sectors, and criminal syndicates. In other words, senior government officials, politicians, rogue elements in intelligence, rogue elements in business, and elements in the criminal underworld come together in pursuit of a common economic or business goal. But in the context of single-party dominance, you end up with more than one deep state project. and And the different deep state projects come not only into competition with one another, but come into conflict with one another, and this manifests as conflict in the dominant part. This is what single-party dominance has produced. In other words, when single-party dominance becomes the dominant reality in the political landscape, there is no incentive for politicians to do better for ordinary citizens. That is why we are uh, here today.
0: Aubrey, well, we thank you very much. I think let's leave it there. We have a gift for you, uh, a
1: pair of running shoes and a gym membership.
0: Uh, do you enjoy that? For the- <laughs> because exercise is good for you. <laughs> thank you, very much. Thank you very much. Exercise might not help you live longer, but it certainly will give you a better quality of life, which is great. And Aubrey, there is a response to when you do feel that urge to exercise and you want to lie down, you need to know that an average man burns 300 calories whilst making love for an hour, which is amazing. Um, And every woman in the room is thinking if a guy can make love for an hour, he's not an average man, which is, uh, I get that. Yeah. (laughs) uh,
1: My packing shot, uh, and you provoked me on that one. (laughs) Oh boy. Um, Those of us who grew up in the church know that we were told that there must be no sex before marriage. What the church doesn't tell us is that there is no sex after marriage either. (laughs) Let's
0: give Aubrey a big round of applause as he leaves. Thank you, Aubrey.